It's violent. You'll like it. So I can't really say, because then I'd be giving it away. <laughs> Fantastic. I think he's one of the best young actors working today. Just being able to find so much joy in Teen Wolf. Welcome to Return to Beacon Hills, a Teen Wolf Rewatch podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kate Colvin, and I'm joined by... Will Wallace. And Calissa Mullis. Every week, we'll be watching and talking about the hit MTV series one episode at a time. And this week, we're talking about season two, episode four, Abomination. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon at RTBH Podcast. There, our Wolfie patrons will gain access to awesome exclusives, like early access to episodes, full moon AMAs, the Beacon Hills Movie Club, where we watch and provide commentary for movies starring the amazing cast of Teen Wolf and featuring the work of our talented crew, as well as guest video interviews and a monthly watch party. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash RTBH podcast and join the pack. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at return to Beacon Hills at gmail.com. This week's episode is Abomination. It was written by Christian Taylor and directed by Tim Andrew. As Scott recovers from the fight with Derek and the Betas, Deaton tells him that the Argent hunting clan is likely to have a book that holds everything they know about supernaturals, which might include the thing that's been killing people around Beacon Hills. Styles figures out he means a bestiary. Scott, Allison, and Styles work to get their hands on the bestiary, but their plan hits several snacks, Gerard getting involved in Allison's life, as well as Allison's parents still trying to keep Scott away, among other things. Meanwhile, Erica, Isaac, and Boyd question their decision to have Derek as an alpha. Derek tries to teach them how to survive, but his methods are ruthless. Lydia continues to experience hallucinations and feels more alone than ever, despite the best efforts of her guidance counselor, Ms. Morell. The murderous creature forces Styles and Derek to spend a lot of time together, and Scott gets a very painful lesson from Gerard. Our favorite quote of the week comes from Jackson when he's having a very intense conversation with Danny in which he says, I'm everyone's type. And even though he's a bully and an asshole, he's not wrong. <laughs> it's very true. <laughs> yeah, yes. All right. We have some honorable mentions too. The first coming from a conversation between Lydia and another classmate in which she says, I have an acute phobia of people prying into my personal life. You? To which he replies, compulsively drawn to cute but narcissistic girls. It's really cool because she's really cute and super narcissistic. <laughs> Our next honorable mention comes from an exchange between Scott and Styles. Styles says, a bestiary. Scott replies, I, I think you mean bestiality. And Styles is like, nope, nope, pretty, pretty sure I pretty sure I don't. <laughs> and last but not least is probably the best Coach Finstock line from this season or just this episode. We'll see how it goes. But the line comes from uh, Coach Finstock in the lacrosse game when Boyd is brought out of the stands to play in the game. And he knocks down the biggest player on the opposing team. And Coach shouts out, the bigger they are, the bigger they are. There were so many full stops in that sentence. There's the bigger they are, the bigger they are. Yes. It's almost like as he was saying it, his mind just kind of wandered off somewhere else. <laughs> right. He was like, what is the end of that expression again? I was just going to say like, you know, 
in a previous episode, you made a comment, Will, that Styles often starts sentences without knowing how he's going to finish them. And I feel like oh, the yeah. same is true for Coach. Yes. 100%. That's why they're both so funny. Exactly. Styles and Coach Finstock are the Michael Scotts of this show. He just starts talking and it's going to go somewhere <laughs> and he'll figure it out. The episode begins with Deaton helping Scott with the wounds he received from the fight with Derek. Scott asks Deaton how he knows about all this supernatural stuff. I think Deaton should just shrug his shoulders here and said, Hobby? Yeah, totally. Scott would have bought it. Yeah. Like, okay. <laughs> Instead of Deaton's actual approach to these kinds of conversations, which is just not to say anything. Yeah, he's just like, ooh, jangly keys, jangly keys. Something else is <laughs> happening here. <laughs> Scott is a werewolf, not a cat. <laughs> so shiny. That's true. Of course, Deaton doesn't really answer. And when Scott asks what the creature is that's been killing people, Deaton says he isn't sure. He is truly the Giles of the show. Is it a Labradoodle, perhaps? That is more within Deaton's official purview. Yes. Deaton advises Scott that the Argents will likely have a book that includes notes on all of the supernatural things they've encountered. Scott asks how many things there are. Three, but it's a very intense three. <laughs> Deaton almost got worked up in that scene. Almost. <laughs> I'd be worked up too if I were being filmed with that much shaky handheld. All the snap zooms in this teaser are a bit ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's so shaky. It looks like I filmed it. <laughs> Ooh, self burn. Those are rare. You can attest to it, though, Kate. Like, there's a picture of you with Tyler Hecklin that is just a little bit out of focus, and it's it, entirely my it, fault. It, it is. But you know what? It's a, it's a pick with Tyler Hecklin, so I, I'm not complaining too much. <laughs> and not your only one, so we got that going for you. That is also true. The Argents show up at the clinic to ask Deaton about the dead hunter that worked for them. Deaton doesn't know what creature caused the wounds, but he advises the Argents that killing may be its only purpose. Why is Deaton helping them exactly? Like, why doesn't he just tell them to f*** off? Uh, because they are very powerful and armed and armed. <laughs> How many arms do they have, Will? Uh, many arms. Well, they didn't technically threaten him with guns. There's an implication. At a repair shop, Styles is getting his Jeep worked on. The mechanic should have been Derek. I read a fic like that not too long ago, and it just worked. That sounds right. I like how the lift says Hunter on it. Nice. Oh, interesting. Did not notice that. Me either. Styles touches a door handle that is covered with some kind of gross substance. On the wall, he notices a picture of the mechanic, though younger at the time, in a Beacon Hills high school uniform. That is some Photoshop job. It's like really bad. I mean... Could they not have just taken someone out into the parking lot and put on a jersey and taken a picture of this person? I don't know why shows don't do that. I like, mean, I, I understand it because I, I'm sure like a lot of times it's just scheduling, you know, especially for this type of role well, where it's a one scene person. But it is a close up. I feel like anytime they do close ups on an image and I'm going to be looking at it, if they're going to zoom on a photo, that photo should not be poorly photoshopped. That's my stance. It's going to zoom. Do not poorly Photoshop it. That's right. Soon, Styles can't move his fingers. This is such a scary way for this to start with the fine motor control being the first to go, and he has no idea why it's happening. Agreed. Then, Styles falls to the ground, mostly paralyzed. He watches on in horror as a creature attacks the mechanic, also paralyzing him. No, wait until he finishes working on my Jeep and then kill him before I pay him. Is what I imagine Styles thinking. <laughs> so, okay, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I really understand this. So the creature swipes you on the back of the neck and, you know, that paralyzes you. But if you just touch the secretions, you... Gross, oh, secretions. Oh, okay, that is a scientific word. But, you know, then it paralyzes you 
two. It just feels like we have two things doing the same job. Well, I think it's, if you touch it, it's not complete paralysis and it's not instantaneous. So like the substance is a paralytic, but how it's introduced into your body also matters. And that's true with chemicals a lot of times. I mean, like snorting something is different from putting it directly in your veins, right? So for this substance on the back of your neck, that's close to the spinal column, it's close to the brain and it's going directly into your bloodstream. So it's fast acting and total paralysis from the neck down, but it can also be absorbed through the skin and it's not as powerful that way. That's how I took it. Mm, I'll allow it. (laughs) Then the creature causes the Jeep to be lowered and it crushes the mechanic to death. Bye man candy. Is that Kinema 1 or Kinema 2 based on that fan theory that there were two Kinemas? So it's like Thing 1 and Thing 2. I never could tell them apart either. But with scales. But with scales, exactly. So even though he's mostly paralyzed, Styles manages to call 911. I love that teaser. But I don't know that we needed that scene with Deaton and the hunters to set it up. Well, I mean, that kind of gives context to what the Kinema is up to. Yeah, but I, I think that's actually Calissa's point. Like, remember when we talked about the scene where Victoria cuts herself with the butcher knife and we talked about how much cooler that scene is because there's no context and you don't know what the f*** she's doing. She just pulls out a knife and suddenly she's slicing her arm. Exactly. For me, it takes away from the murder scene because we've just had a scene with characters explaining it at length. I agree. It would have been more interesting not having that information and going into the murder scene cold and then getting the context later to understand it fully. And it'd be so much punchier without context where we're just going, holy shit, what is it doing? Why is Styles paralyzed? So maybe if they just swapped those scenes. Well, or or had the Deaton explanation scene being the first one after the theme sequence. It would have been a punchier teaser without it. And then I agree. Agree themed music and then the scene with Dean. Mm-hmm. It just occurred to me that the last episode ended with Styles getting a concussion. And this one begins with him getting paralyzed. Oh, it's been a hard Styles. few days for Styles. It is. And they're about to get harder. Yes. Because he's hanging out with Derek. <laughs> Allison checks her car for a new message from Scott. But before she can meet him, her grandfather startles her, though he says he didn't mean to. Sure you didn't, Gerard. He's just a walking, talking startle machine. (laughs) Gerard stops her from leaving so they can talk. He asks if she's waiting for someone else. And at first she says yes, before quickly correcting herself to no. Oh my God, girl, you really have to learn how to lie better or at all. Is she even really an argent if she can't lie? I guess you Mm. could say she's a liability. Oh boy. (laughs) I see what you did there. Guys, that's a future Teen Wolf episode title that I'm alluding to, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Yes. Gerard drops a leather-bound book to the ground, without which he says he'd be lost. He goes on to say that he has to take a cocktail of pills thrice daily. Oh, God, he just dry swallows them always. It's it's so gross. Gerard is so similar to Kate. They're both so manipulative. Definitely. Speaking of which... Yes, Gerard compares Allison to Kate, which Allison doesn't quite like. Well, they did both date 16-year-old boys. Oh my God. At least Allison's the appropriate age for that. Yes, I I think that was her point. It was, Kate. Duly noted. (laughs) Gerard warns Allison that the point may come that she can no longer trust her friends, but she must always trust her family. He asks whether he can trust her. She gives a weak, yeah, which seems to enrage Gerard, who says, speak with conviction, yes or no. We yell in this family. When we are not keeping secrets in this family, we are yelling. I really do love his delivery there, though. He's a great actor. Michael Hogan is actually the best. 
He's great. Back at the auto shop, Styles lies to his father and says he didn't see anything that happened, but the sheriff seems hesitant to believe him. He tries to reassure Styles in case someone has intimidated him into keeping quiet. Originally, I was very offended on Styles' behalf because Styles isn't afraid of shit and he would only be intimidated into silence if someone threatens the sheriff, not Styles. But then, you know, listening to the scene again, maybe he is, maybe that is what the sheriff is trying to get across that he's worried someone might have intimidated Styles threatening saying that yeah he that someone intimidated Styles by threatening to kill Sheriff. Well the other thing is I mean we as the audience know this about Styles because we've seen Styles in these kinds of life-threatening situations but the sheriff might not have. I do wonder whether the sheriff has ever seen Styles in a tense situation being selfless and brave. So the sheriff also tells Styles that the Jeep will be impounded as evidence. Also it's probably still broken. It's not like he got to finish the job. True. Allison finally makes it to their secluded makeout spot, but Scott had to leave to meet with Styles after what happened with the mechanic. I really like the detail of them showing Allison erasing Scott's chalk message on the rock because even that could be evidence against them. They're so thorough. Sometimes. Sometimes, Sometimes yeah. When Scott picks Styles up, Styles reveals that he thinks the creature knew him. Ooh. Bum, bum, bum. Mysterious. Yes. Meanwhile, Derek works to train his betas with some abandoned subway station parkour. Why the unnecessary flips? Because it's a hail teaching them. Duh. Well, well stop doing the same thing every time. They just keep <laughs> over and over the same they thing. They do. They actually, they do the exact same set of flips. In an attempt to take Derek by surprise, Erica jumps on him and attacks him with a kiss. Derek throws her off and tells her that she'll never do that again because he has someone else in mind for her. The kiss goes on for way too long. It it does. I I really hate it. I'm not sure what they were trying to do there because I don't think they were trying to do anything with Derek and Erica, but the other scene that I really hate in this season is the scene where Derek first introduces himself to to Erica. I don't know why either of those scenes went on as long as they did, and I don't know why they played them the way they did. I don't think it really makes sense to me with Derek's character. Yeah, I'm not sure what exactly was said, obviously, by the directors. But I do have, for this episode, we pulled out the shooting script. Ooh. Which is very exciting. It says she kisses him, lips and tongue all over his. For just a moment, Derek allows it. But then he breaks her grip and drops her back to the floor right on her ass. So it doesn't say he like returns it, it just says he allows it. That's interesting because I had a theory about why it it might feel like it goes on too long. Cause I was going to think that if she just jumps into his arms and kind of like put her lips to his and he pushed her down, it might be hard to film that. So you actually see what they're doing. Like if he was just instantly reacting to it so that maybe um, that was just long enough for the audience to register what she is doing. Cause like, if you'd like filmed it, like if she jumped on him and then he immediately put, even if she like, like kissed him and he immediately pushed her away, it might've been so fast that the audience might not have realized what she was doing. And maybe they were just making it a little bit longer. So the audience is like, Oh, I get it. But now, now that we have heard from the script, now we know that's not true. So, all right, never mind. I do think that Steric fans love that line about him having someone else in mind and it being styles. They just stopped before the, for you part of the sentence. Oh, I have someone <laughs> I else like, in mind. why would they like that so much? I have someone else in mind and it's styles. So <laughs> <laughs> does he really mean Scott? No, he means styles. I thought styles, but then I was kind of thinking there was also like some stuff with like the there jealousy. Is with Scott and I don't feel like we ever really get clarification but that would go in the opposite I think that was just Erica being the most (laughs) (laughs) I think Derek was thinking that he wanted Erica to 
distract Styles as needed the way she tried to do during the whole Boyd thing. Mm-hmm. Cause that worked so well. Oh. I mean, it did. She had it to did. She succeeded. hit him. She succeeded. So I wonder if Derek even knows that happened. Cause we never see characters actually discuss things that happened. In well, the that's past. why, that's why he's like, Oh no, we'll use seduction from now on because he hit my baby boy in the head. Well, she was trying to use <laughs> seduction. It just didn't work. That's true. I forgot about like that sedu- part. Seduction is also just the hail way that they teach. Mm. I mean, I'm fine. You use all the tools you need, but still you got to be able to read that room, Derek. Not in a hospital, please. Derek's training style is brutal, but he tries to explain to the betas that this is about survival because whatever killed Isaac's father has killed someone else. Poor Isaac. I feel like the betas are already thinking that they've made a huge mistake. They are definitely thinking that. Yeah. You can see it on their faces in that scene. They're like, what have we done? Mistakes were made. No. (laughs) They should look into the mechanic war because we find out everyone who died in the first season kind of (laughs) sucked. And we know Isaac's father sucked. So I feel like, is it a pattern again of just more people who are terrible dying? Because maybe just let the creature keep on going for a bit. That's true. I mean, we'll have to see how the rest of the season plays out. But yeah, that is very accurate. So, But Scott's philosophy is would definitely not allow for that. Even if they did look into the victims and decide, oh, it turns out they're horrible people. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah, Talk about Derek and Styles, (laughs) not Scott. Lydia wakes up in her bed covered in blood. Horrified, she and her mother realized that Lydia must have punched her vanity mirror to cause the wounds. But Lydia seems to have no memory of this. Hell of a period. It's shark week, mother Or wolf moon, as Kate calls it. Yep. Lydia meets a mysterious new boy as she waits to speak to her guidance counselor, Ms. Morell. Scott and Allison use styles to pass messages to each other. This is so cute. It is fun. It's surprisingly cute. <laughs> Scott tells Styles about the Book of Supernaturals, and Styles realizes he must mean a bestiary. They realize that they need to get a look at that book. Lydia begins her counseling session with Ms. Morell immediately on the offensive. She wonders aloud whether Morell, who also teaches French, is even really French. She's French-Canadian, by the way, and tells as many lies as she has to in order to support her claim that she's fine. Bianca Lawson is an ageless god. I think we can all agree on that. That is true. Definitely. During her session, Lydia says that sometimes the people closest to you can be the ones holding you back the most. She seems surprised at herself and isn't sure where she heard that. Miss Morell says it sounds like whoever said it made an impression. Jackson asks Danny to brighten the resolution on the video he recorded of himself that night he thought he would shift. He tells Danny not to show anyone else. Danny's kind of weirded out that Jackson wants him to watch a video of Jackson in bed and reminds his best friend, again, that he's not Danny's type. Jackson says he's everyone's type. Still not making out with you. No means no. <laughs> like they've had this conversation many a times. And they Danny's definitely just had to tell him, Like, I'm not into you. And it's not that Jackson's like being like homophobic about it. It's just like, he's just so under belief that everyone wants him. Yeah. Of, of any gender. Yeah, exactly. If Jackson gender. had any belief, it would be like that I could have sex with any person because I am that handsome and everyone wants me. Yeah. <laughs> Styles tells Allison about the bestiary. At first, she too thinks that Styles means bestiality. <laughs> <laughs> I like that Allison can sometimes be a goofball too, the way Scott is. I, th- I think that's really cute. They've got some interesting things on the brain, that's for sure. Please don't tell us about your sex lives, Scott and Allison. Allison thinks that it must be the journal that she saw Gerard drop earlier, and she says they need his keys to get it. 
it seemed to me like Gerard dropped it on purpose. And it was similar to Kate giving the necklace to Allison on her birthday. It was a manipulative move. Uh, but why? He doesn't know she's looking for it. The plan hasn't been formed yet. Well, I think his thought process is broader than that. Like Chris is training Allison, but he's doing it on his own timetable. Right. Slow and steady. Right. Whereas Kate and Gerard want to shove her into it. Okay. New headcanon. I feel like Gerard and Kate have the same principle for teaching a child to swim and it's shoving them into the pool and then just watching. Pulling up the ladder so they can't climb out. Swim! Yeah, I'm thinking maybe Gerard wanted to test Allison. He wanted to see how intrigued she was by him dropping a book that he says he'd be lost without. He wondered if she tried to steal it. Kate certainly would have stolen it if she were interested. And that scene where he dropped that book, he was saying, you're a lot like Kate. So he thought he'd test his hypothesis. Exactly. Maybe she tried to spend more time with him thinking she's manipulating him when really he's the one manipulating her. Oh, like a second intention repost. Sure. What are those words? <laughs> in, uh, in fencing, instead of making an attack to score, um, the fencer feigns an attack to get a specific response from their opponent and plans to use that response to score with a second attack. So it's sort of a longer con. You manipulate your opponent into responding the way you want them to. I just prefer sticking with the pointy end <laughs> for all those A Song of Ice and Fire fans out there. Allison accompanies Gerard to a lacrosse game in order to try and get his keys. Gerard says she might need to be patient with his questions because he's never been to a lacrosse game before. It's violent. You'll like it. Yeah, Kate loved it. You know Gerard will too. But I mean, even though he's not as into 16-year-old boys, one would assume. Yikes, hope not. Much to Jackson's annoyance, Danny enlisted Matt to look over the footage, and Matt noticed that it was looped, meaning two hours are missing from that night. It seems to be a gif. Jackson wants Scott to take on an opposing player called the Abomination, but Scott says he can't do anything with Gerard there watching them, which is a pretty solid point. Uh, look at that 47-year-old playing high school lacrosse. But I do like everyone's tracksuits. <laughs> yeah, Adidas was sponsoring the season. Fun fact, the opposing team in this episode are the Beavers. In Teen Wolf the movie, they were the Beacon Town Beavers. Like, how fun would it be for your mascot to be a beaver? You get to just go around schools wearing like punny shirts about beavers. Well, we know Jonathan Hall, the DP of the show, has a relationship with beavers. I mean, they're a little zombified, but beavers nonetheless. Oh, I was actually thinking any high school that had beavers as their mascot would soon realize what happens when you tell teenagers that their mascot is the beavers. Yep. Allison gets Gerard's keys by claiming she's cold, so he'll offer his coat like a true gentleman. His keys were in the coat pocket. Good one, Allison. She's getting a little better at deception. Yeah. Then Allison sneaks those keys off to Styles. I love when Allison and Styles work together. They're a great team. They are. Melissa chats with Matt in the stands. Beautiful, beautiful Mama McCall. Now, does Matt actually play lacrosse or does he just take photos while wearing a jersey? No, no, no. Anyone involved in the A story for a season is contractually obligated to be on the team. Melissa asks if Matt only photographs lacrosse. Matt says he photographs anything that catches his eye while secretly zooming in on a creeper pic he took of Allison. Stalker much? It's not even a good photo. Every photo is a good photo when you're a stalker. And, you know, you're taking photo of the person you're stalking. Like, that's just rule 101 of stalking. That's how it works. Like, who cares? How many Lifetime movies have you seen, Kate? Not enough. They always have, like, a bunch like, of, like, out-of-focus photos two. on the wall. <laughs> They've got, like, a wall of crazy. No, I'm sorry, a room of crazy, usually. And they have, oh. have, like, a lot of photos. 
Styles heads to Gerard's office, but gets distracted by Lydia crying in her car. Aw, was that French Canadian mean to her? <laughs> Lydia doesn't want him to see her cry, but Styles says she shouldn't worry about people seeing her cry because he thinks she's really beautiful when she cries, and that's something that all men should say to women. I always. hate that line. Yeah, it's pretty awful. And he's supposed to understand her, but he's got this all wrong. She's not worried about looking, quote, ugly. She's worried about looking weak. Yeah. That being said, Dylan O'Brien does look beautiful whenever he cries. It's okay for us to say it about men. It's not okay for them to say it about us. Them's the rules. Exactly. True, true. When Coach can't find Styles, he points at Boyd, who's sitting with Erica in the stands, and asks him to play. Erica warns Boyd that Derek won't like him playing. Boyd answers, yeah, but I will. I love that bit. Damn, son. Sinkwa Wall's looking good. He looks so good. I totally forgot that coach just plucked Boyd from the stands without Boyd even being on the team. It's <laughs> such a classic coach move. Yeah, coach is just like, ah, uh, looking, scanning. He's like, ah, uh, who's handsome and fit? Uh, you, you, Boyd. <laughs> I need you over here. Lydia's worried about sounding crazy, but Styles assures her that there's literally nothing she could say that would sound crazy to him. But the roaring of the crowd reminds him that the game is progressing and he has a job to do. So he asks her to wait five minutes while he runs into the school. Poor Lydia. Yeah. Boyd knocks the so-called abomination on his ass. Ah, uh, show us those glowing eyes. I love that shot of Boyd. So cool. Yeah, it looks so good. All the steam and the fog in the background. And as always, the slow-mo lacrosse stuff looks perfect. Just it does. perfect. It looks so good. God, I love it. Erica catches Styles in Gerard's office and takes him to the gym where Derek awaits. See, I feel like earlier he was saying, I have someone else in mind for you to bring to me. She wasn't even flirting <laughs> with Styles. She was like dragging him by the ear. That's true. <laughs> a disappointed mom. <laughs> it is kind of a funny. Like, I, I feel like after she tried in the previous episode to seduce him and it didn't work, she's not like a try, try again person when it comes to that. She's like, oh, oh, that didn't work. All right. I'm just going to physically drag you. How about that game? You like yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. She wears the very revealing top. That doesn't work. She's like fist time. That's <laughs> what it takes. Derek tries to intimidate Styles into telling him what he saw at the mechanic's garage by deflating a basketball with his claws. Not Derek's most effective intimidation technique, I have to say. He was inspired by the Argents who do things like wipe your windshield when intimidating. <laughs> Them. That's true. People. Your car's so clean now, man. I really wish in that moment when he does the basketball that Styles had just laughed and be like, you're not going to hurt me. <laughs> what are you going to do? Deflate won't. me? Is that the implication here? Like, like, okay. What are you talking about, man? I don't think he's even worried about Derek at this point, though. I think he's more worried about Erica and what she would do. That, that's true. But she's like, he's, he'd be like, you're not going to hurt me. She just slaps him upside the head. He's like, oh, Jesus. He's like, yeah, she'll hurt me, but... Yeah. You won't hurt me, Derek. But you won't. That was, I was still right because my assertion was just that you won't hurt me. And that yeah. was technically true. Meanwhile, back on the field, Scott tries to keep Boyd from shifting. Irony, police. Right? Then Scott gets brutally knocked to the ground, breaking his leg. The other team celebrates. People's for life! Of course, to everyone's astonishment, Scott gets back up, basically healed. Gerard looks suspicious. Oh, yeah. Not kind of forgot he was standing right there, didn't you? What was he supposed to do? Not heal? Well, I mean, he he could have pretended that he was a little more hurt than he was because he literally like his leg was pointing the wrong way. And then he's okay. like, I'm going to get back up and stand on both feet immediately. True. But if he'd acted like he was a little bit more hurt than he really was, they would have been like, oh, well, come sit down for a second. And Boyd would have still been on the field. Yeah, but 
Boyd is still on the field. I know, but at least now he's out there to deal with Boyd. Which footage has shown was really helping. Because we already have Scott repeatedly talking to Boyd, being like, please don't do this, Boyd. (laughs) We're in front of a bunch of people. And Boyd was like, shut up, Scott. (laughs) Not really, because Boyd is far more restrained than I probably would be in that situation. But That's true. Back inside the high school, as Styles describes the creature that he saw, it attacks them, knocking Erica out. I love that moment where Styles can't figure out why Derek and Erica look so freaked out. It's great. It is good. Derek turns his back on the monster to push Styles away, which exposes the back of his neck, and he's sliced by the creature. Save your Styles. You know he does. He he's got to save his Styles. Styles tries to help Derek run, but Derek ends up falling in the pool, and Styles has no choice. But to jump in after him. Now that tracksuit's ruined. God bless you, Styles. Scott wouldn't have done that, especially if Allison was in the car crying and waiting on him. <laughs> oh, shit. So now the lizard creature has them trapped in the pool. They kind of forgot about Erica. They had their hands full with the creature coming after them. It's fine. She leaves them when she regains consciousness anyway. True. I'm out of here. Bye. Gerard invites Scott back for dinner at the Argent house. Mr. and Mrs. Argent are not amused. Victoria's holding a big butcher knife when she sees Gerard and Allison coming in with Scott. I feel like she's just going to cut herself again. (laughs) That's just her go-to. That's just her go-to. I'm upset. No. That's my cutting myself sound. Mm -hmm. The empty chair at the Argent's table is where Kate would have sat if she were alive. At least you put like some black lace over it or just like a knife right there. A knife would be more appropriate. Why did Scott say yes to this dinner? Because it's Gerard. How would he say no to him? You know it's really because he just wanted to spend more time with Allison. Also accurate. That is more believable to me. (laughs) Gerard asks why everyone is so quiet. Because they're exes and he knows that. It's so funny to me that he's like, hey, my granddaughter's ex-boyfriend come to dinner with her family and nobody else. Then he's like, why isn't the conversation better? (laughs) Gerard is friends with all of his exes, so he doesn't get it. Uh, correction he has no surviving exes and that's why he doesn't consider them enemies that's true you be friends with anybody when they're in the ground (laughs) (laughs) chris asked gerard whether he bothered to ask scott and allison if they'd be comfortable having dinner together after allegedly breaking up did he care then gerard insists that although it's been centuries since he dated his words people used to date and break up all the time and it shouldn't be that awkward what do you guys think grandma argent was like I'm going to go out on a limb here and say intense. Yeah, I think that is likely. Scott and Allison insist they're fine, prompting Gerard to ask why they broke up in the first place. Scott says that Allison broke up with him. The others gape at him. Well, it's true. Or, you know, allegedly. I mean, they didn't actually break up. But, you know, her family is so weird about him saying that when they're the ones who are like, Allison, we're literally going to shoot him in the face if you don't break up with him. Yeah, it's like they're really offended. I know. I don't understand. I feel like if they would be more offended if he said he broke up with her, like, well, our daughter's not good enough for you, Scott. (laughs) Exactly. And Scott's just like, we're getting mixed signals here, people. What's happening? As Scott endures an uncomfortable dinner, Styles struggles to hold a paralyzed Derek above water. Styles can't help but wonder what the creature is waiting for, why it's not just jumping in the pool to kill them. I really love in this bit how you see the cannabis shadow moving along the wall before you see the canima itself as it's stalking around the pool. Yeah, it's one of my favorite scenes in season two. Back at the Argent house, Chris suggests that Allison broke up with Scott because they were growing apart, which is news to Allison. 
George says that Chris is biased and they might have had the passion of Romeo and Juliet. Chris points out that Romeo and Juliet committed ritual suicide, so they maybe could have used less passion. It wasn't ritual suicide, Chris. Reread the play. At least he got that they committed uh, suicide at the end. I feel like so many people don't get that. And they're like, oh, Romeo and Juliet, aspiration couple. My God. Just think of all the kids who treated Tay-Tay's song like spark notes and got that wrong on the Shakespeare test. In her defense, I don't feel like Shake It Off really had anything to do with Romeo and Juliet. (laughs) Nice. Scott has a tense exchange with Chris, who warns him that Gerard cannot find out the truth about what Scott is. Scott retorts that it probably wouldn't be too good for Chris either if Gerard found that out. Okay, I genuinely love them angrily picking up dessert plates. It's just so good. It's hilarious. It's actually in the script. Uh, Let me pull it up here. He lets Scott go. The two of them stare at each other in a tense standoff. Finally, Scott grabs a cookie plate. Argent grabs a cake, still eyeing each other, holding cookies and cake. They walk out. (laughs) But no, I, I think that's perfectly written. Like, just perfect. It is. Well done, Christian Taylor. Back at the pool, Styles sees the canema touch the water and recoil. Uh, don't like it, don't like it. Hiss. It's basically a cat. A lizard You're not cat. Wrong. Allison and Scott get Gerard to excuse them from the rest of dinner so they can go over some notes for English. That smug look that Allison shot her dad when Gerard says, Oh, yeah, totally go do it. Priceless. That was a very Kate Argent look. Yeah. Bum, bum, bum. It's the problem with grandparents being in town, they can always just override parents. Totally. Very true. Using Scott's super hearing abilities, they managed to get into Gerard's safe. Kate, this is basically what you were talking about with werewolves using their hearing to do a safe heist. Yeah, I had totally forgotten about this bit when I said that. I had too. And then Allison even jokes that they could rob a few banks later. So they find the journal in the safe, but it's a cookbook, not the bestiary. And we cut to a shot of Gerard deeply enjoying his food, hence why he'd be lost without his book. I don't like this. It is upsetting. You don't like watching him eat and enjoying his food almost orgasmically? No, thank you. (laughs) No, thank you, please. Styles doesn't know how much longer he can hold Derek up. Derek threatens him that he can't let him go because Derek is the one who will fight the creature once the poison wears off. But to get his phone from where he dropped it by the pool, Styles lets him go. He wants to teach Derek a lesson here, and it's, I'm not just holding you up so that you can fight the canima and protect me, and you're a bitch for thinking that. So for a couple (laughs) seconds, you're going to think that you're going to die. It's a harsh lesson. And since that happens regularly for you, I don't think that's too extreme a punishment for your infraction. Nope. Derek sinks to the bottom and Styles grabs the phone and calls Scott, who says he can't talk and promptly hangs up on Styles. I can't believe this phone still works. Poor Styles. His face here when Scott hangs up on him. I know. Total disbelief. I feel like there should have been some discussion of this in the next episode. Scott never seems to answer the phone when Styles needs him. That's true. Very sad. Styles dives back to the bottom of the pool and grabs Derek to save him before he drowns. One thing, I love this shot. It's amazing. It is good. Derek immediately asks Styles if he got Scott, but I feel like he already knows the answer to that. But in true Derek form, he jumps right into that. He doesn't express anger for Styles letting go of him, gratitude that he came back, or more likely shock that Styles came back for him. And I wanted to see all of that. I agree, though, that that's very Derek, that there's no like, oh, oh my God, you dropped me. And you know, there he's not like, why did you do that? I told you you couldn't and all these stuff. He's just like, did you get him? Yeah. That's so Derek. Yep. Scott rushes back to the school to get Gerard's keys. 
Allison realizes the USB on the keychain must contain the bestiary, and Styles still had the keys. After he goes, Gerard says, I don't get it. What's not to like? I feel ya, Grandpa Death. He is so very <laughs> likable. Well, Grandpa, he's a bad kisser. Too much tongue. That's a dog joke, by the way. <laughs> but but wait, wait, why does he think Styles is still at the school? Like, that was hours ago, right? Maybe Scott thinks Styles stops moving when he's not around. Like an NPC. He just like, <laughs> goes still when you're not in the room. All right. Styles can no longer hold up Derek. And just as they both slip beneath the surface, Scott yanks them out of the water. I would just like to point out that Styles was going to go down with Derek instead of letting him go. I will go down with this ship. Thank you, Dido. You are welcome. Scott has a standoff with the creature. After a brief fight, Scott holds up a piece of broken mirror as a weapon. Scott knows that he has claws, right? Why does he need a broken piece of mirror? Yeah, I don't like this. I feel like they could have just had like a, a big broken piece of mirror behind Scott that the uh, that the creature sees its reflection in. Scott doesn't need a weapon. He has like weapons all over his body. He is a weapon. Yes. Then the creature flees after it catches sight of its own reflection. Did anyone else notice that Derek seems to start moving right away? Like he's already like pulling himself up. Makes me wonder how long he was able to do that. Was he just wanting Styles to hold him up? Also, Erica shows up fine dandy beside Derek in the next scene. Are you telling me she was knocked out for the full two hours? I think Erica is a steric shipper and she just stepped out once she was able to move to give them some time together. Yeah, she she was like, I can read between the lines, you guys. <laughs> She's not the only steric shipper this season, but I can't comment on that yet. That's right. We're going to get into that in the alpha section. Now, because the creature was confused by its own reflection, Derek realizes what it is. A canema. And Styles is immediately like indignant, thinking Derek had known this whole time and just not told him. Like, I held your ass up in a pool for two hours. You had plenty of time to tell me. How dare you, sir? The canema, we learn, is a shapeshifter, but it's not right. It's an abomination. Like a true couple, Styles and Derek finish each other's sentences. Also, Styles would probably finish Derek's sandwiches. <laughs> That's an arrested development joke. Scott thinks they need to work together on this, possibly even tell the Argents. But Derek says no. He's going to find the Canima and kill it himself with his new cool squad, I guess. <laughs> but Scott says the problem is they don't trust each other. Really, Scott? That's what you think the problem is? <laughs> I do feel like by the end of this episode, Derek does at least trust Styles. And if it were me in the scene, I'd be like, Derek, you turned around. I can't hear you anymore. But in true hail fashion, it was the most dramatic thing to do. Derek, do you not understand acoustics? He starts speaking, then mumbles the rest to himself while he's walking away. Not mumbles, just says quietly. Derek doesn't mumble. He always enunciates, and I like that about him. Scott goes to pick up his mom from the hospital. While he waits for her, Gerard approaches him and stabs him in the stomach. It escalates very quickly. Gerard says soon he'll be asking Scott for a favor, and Scott needs to do it, or else Gerard will use that knife on Melissa. Are you listening? intently scott should just rip gerard's throat out right there you are just like Derek. will you immediately just want to kill everyone well when they stab me yeah scott doesn't kill people no he doesn't unfortunately which is why he should have just told Derek, so Derek could do it like i don't know call me when he stabs styles then i'll have a problem <laughs> oh yeah i'm sorry <laughs> and then Derek's like change your joke there yes yeah. yes yep mm-hmm. Derek's like wait he threatened mama mccall i'm gonna kill that f- <laughs> Did Derek and Melissa ever have any scenes together? I don't believe so. And that that is unfortunate. They should meet. Like when Spike started hanging around with Buffy's mom on Buffy. That would have been fun. Also, 
I like this scene mostly, but I don't like where they start doing the red flashes. But I do like the blood dripping. I think that looks cool. I do too. I agree. That part looks good. Yeah, it does. Well, what do you guys think about this episode? This is such a good episode. It's one of my favorites. Yeah, my favorite in season two. Me too. And everything about the pool scene pleases me. Nice. So, Kalissa, since we have the script out, I think there's some stuff in there you want to tell us about? There is. There's some extra scenes that got cut for time, I guess. We had Jackson saying that if Scott wasn't willing to do anything about the abomination on the field, he was going to do it. And then noticing Jackson and Scott talking, Gerard turns to Allison and says, there are two captains, right? Jackson and Scott. And that's as she's dropping the keys to Styles. We also have Erica say, go Scott. And Allison spins back to see Erica cheering for Scott just two rows up. The girl looks undeniably hot, almost as if she's dressed to be noticed, the script says. Interesting. Ball on his stick, Jackson goes right for the abomination. Using a sudden and almost extraordinary moment of speed, he slips around the larger player and sends the ball flying to Scott. Ball caught, Scott whips around and fires into the opposing goal. The incredibly relieved Beacon Hills fan rise to their feet, cheering wildly. That's really interesting to me that it has like Jackson and Scott actually working together. And yeah. maybe that's why they cut it. <laughs> They're like, does that serve what we're doing here? Yeah, it feels out of place. You know, like it just feels feels really odd. Also, we have the encounter with the Canima go a little bit differently. Mm. In the script, it says Erica darts in front of Derek to protect him, but the thing moves too fast for her, which I do think she moves in front of him, but I don't know if it's clear that she's trying to protect Derek as her alpha. Yeah. I wasn't clear on that. Whipping about, it shoves her across the gym floor. Her head snaps brutally into the wall. While she slumps unconscious, Derek grabs Styles to get him out of the way. The creature's claws slice through the air, tail snaking up. Derek yells, run. He pushes Styles through a door into the pool area and turns back just as a clawed foot lands on his chest. Kicked back through the door, Derek flies past Styles and tumbles across the tile floor. Pushing up, Derek flips back onto his feet, eyes flaring with an angry red glow. Get behind me, Derek tells Styles. I could see like that part changing from script to episode, depending on like the location, like they wrote that bit because it seems like that that took place like in the like a little hallway to mm-hmm. get to the pool. And maybe when they got to that location, right. they're like, this doesn't like the, the filming of this won't be interesting or it's not right. So they just like, we'll move it all inside and then cut this little bit, mm-hmm. you know, so I, I could see that being like a location, a location thing. That makes sense. I love this line, though. As Styles gropes for a hold on him, Derek tumbles backward and goes right into the pool. Without hesitating, Styles jumps in after the sinking Derek. I just like the use of grope. It's a powerful. I word. also like the without hesitating. Yeah, I like that a lot. I think that's that's Styles. That's Styles. Like, I feel like if he had to like describe Styles, there are many words to use, but I would say like unhesitating is, you know, if he's like your friend or or ally, at least he's like, I will do it. You gotta help. But Jackson, he'd be like, eh. You'd be like, who dis? I don't know this. (laughs) I also thought it was interesting because it's six feet of water, not eight in the original script, in which case it's kind of like, y'all could just stand up, right? Right. They probably (laughs) realized that. Yeah. Like, if Derek's not paralyzed, still Styles could stand up and then just kind of like help hold it. Like, it'd be way easier than trying to stay afloat in eight feet of water. Yeah. Dilda Bryan's almost six feet tall. I think he's like 5'10". 
Nice. There's also style says, I can't, I can't stay up. I need something to hold on to. I need to hold on to something. And Derek says the diving board, try to reach and then they go down. But like, so it's Derek who actually suggests that he go for the diving board. And that's not included in the actual yeah. episode. Maybe that's um, like what Ed talked about in the previous season, where instead of like cutting whole scenes, they would just be like, what's a line mm-hmm. that can come out of a scene and still kind yeah. of get the story across. And maybe they were just like, we don't need that bit. Just actually show it. There's a scene that was cut that I felt like was the most interesting that was cut for this episode. And it was a scene after Derek says he will kill the Canima in the episode that aired. It goes straight to Scott pulling up uh, to pick up Mom McCall at the hospital. But in the shooting script, there was a scene with Sheriff Stilinski back at the garage. It says, in the darkened garage, Sheriff Stilinski gazes up at the hydraulic line, fingers touching the edge where the canima severed it. He puts his phone to the, his ear. Yeah, it's me. I need you to change the status on the fatal accident last night. Bring everyone in first thing tomorrow. That's right. Homicide. And he snaps the phone closed like David Caruso. <laughs> and collapses to the floor because he also touched the venom <laughs> on that thing that the canima when he severed the thing. So I thought that was interesting that they cut that bit from this episode where you get like that he realizes it's a murder. Mm. Yeah, that it's kind of an interesting moment. Yeah, maybe they felt like because what's the the last thing that Derek says is I'm going to kill it, mm-hmm. right? Maybe they felt like that the episode had two outs, had two buttons. Well, it's right. It's you mean the that part of the episode because it's that's not the out. There's still the scene with Gerard after that. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. I totally forgot about that. Oh yeah, maybe hmm, maybe that was a time thing. I mean, maybe if they were huh. line cutting. Yeah, because I mean, that, like this right here is like this is a scene cut. All right, Wolfies, that wraps up the beta section for Abomination, and now we're about to dive into spoilers. Not just for this episode, but for the whole Teen Wolf series. If you want to stay spoiler free for all the excellent stories to come, jump out now, and we'll catch you next week. But if this isn't your first time in Beacon Hills and you want to hear more, don't move a muscle. Here comes the alpha. I'm saying you should be afraid. Be very afraid. Because in the natural world, predators with paralytic toxins use them to catch and eat their prey. This prey wasn't eaten. That means whatever killed him only wanted to kill him. In fact, killing may be its only purpose. Now it's time to jump over to our interview with Christian Taylor, writer for Teen Wolf. Let's have a listen. So Christian, how did Teen Wolf come into your life? You know, I was very lucky because my managers introduced me to Jeff because they were his managers, or his managers as well. And um, we actually became good friends. And this was before, I think it was even before Teen Wolf. It was definitely, yeah, it was before Teen Wolf. Then he went off and did Teen Wolf and I went off and did something else. And then after the first season, he's like, hey, would you want to come and help? And I was like, sure, that sounds fun. And, you know, they were in Atlanta. And so, yeah, that's how it happened. Awesome. So you wrote, directed, and produced episodes of Teen Wolf. What was your favorite aspect of working on the show? And what did you find most challenging? Favorite aspect? Well, obviously, I got to work with really who's Jeff, who's become one of my closest friends. So that was an amazing thing. It was also, I think the greatest thing about the show was like, it was a low budget show, which we were getting to make all this incredible sort of TV for. 
in a very dynamic and and kind of cowboy kind of way, like in the old school kind of way, because there were so many things, and you've obviously t- spoken to people before, but we just didn't have the budget for. So we just had to kind of tiny little sets and dynamic shooting and quick run over there and do this. And, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was different from bigger productions I've been on, which I think actually become less creative because they don't have that dynamism because they're weighed down by production. They're weighed mm. down by just different aspects. And we, we had a freedom that we could do that was, which Jeff sort of obviously encouraged. And it wasn't that we weren't a, valid production we were very much a real crew and real stunts and all that sort of stuff but it was just a, a way of doing things which was more creative and liberating i think so that was amazing so being able to direct jeff very kindly let me direct so that was an incredible part of it and it was a really fun show to work on i think one of my most fun experiences in a way Definitely production, the actors were fun. You know, it was, it was great. It's fantastic. Beautiful. Yeah. Did I answer everything in that in the three-part question? <laughs> yeah. What was it? Got so it. What, was, what was the most challenging? Well, the most challenging was definitely the budget. And also time, like what happened, I think probably the most challenging aspect of the whole thing was when they picked us up for, you know, not one season, but two seasons, but called it one that gave us mm. 24 episodes. And, you know, it's it's different when you you're on a network show that's 24 episodes because it has usually a much bigger budget, it has a bigger writing staff, it has just a a more complete support system. And we obviously didn't have that because we were low budget, MTV, small writing staff. And then we were doing 24 episodes and it was just intense. And, And Jeff is not one to just be like, well, let's just do a simple story this episode. And Will knows that very well. That's what's so dynamic about working with him is that, you know, it's always like, what's the puzzle? What's the thing? And that's hard to do for 24 episodes. I mean, I'm not going to rag on any equivalent types of shows, but usually you look at those shows and they're a very similar format. You know, each episode is this happens in the first act and they're very structured so they can just farm that out to a whole load of writers. We couldn't. We every episode was sculpted and built, and and I think that's to Jeff's credit, and also the reason why the show I think resonated so much on on one of those levels is that the stories were, even though we didn't have the budget, the stories were really good a lot of the time and fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they were. Yeah, and yeah were. it's definitely not a show that had any filler episodes. What was it like in the writers' room bringing a new and very interesting creature in mythology into the world of Teen Wolf for season two with the Canima? Jeff would usually have an idea of what he wanted, and we would sort of then just extrapolate on that. I mean, what was really funny was like a full costume, which we hadn't had ever. And then also the actor who was a stunt guy, David. Yes, David great guy and what he physically had to put him through through was like oh my god like that costume would be sweating and everything but like coming up with it it was more um i think we just you know jeff's always like well what's the cool thing what's 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 gonna make this cool and just the fun things like the the paralyzing slime and you know (laughs) the stuff and how that would work and the conceit of that and yeah it was was always fun because we would always start a season with you know will you know this is like what is the threat of the what's the big bad of the season and that was always really fun to come up with and like jeff (laughs) we went to mykonos together uh because we're like we've never had we haven't had a holiday and and um we were like he was like i think i got this idea of the dirac and we just sort of like were riffing on that for like (laughs) two weeks while we're by the pool which was really nice (laughs) 
sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, so we were very lucky. Poor Jeff got food poisoning, and I was like Aww. out partying at one point. And he was like, but it was a, a really fun trip and creative. Like yeah. it was a write-off because we were working. Well, I I think you took a picture of him like sitting on this wall, and you can see like beautiful water behind him, and he's just hunched over his phone, and it's like he's writing notes for the next oh. season. And <laughs> I thought so, you meant hunched yeah. over because of the food poisoning. I was no, like, don't laugh at that, Will. No, no, no. It's like, it's like this Christian took like this beautiful picture <laughs> of Jeff in the scenery, and he's just on his phone, like I taking think, notes. I think he was I think we were still he was still in post, I believe. Probably. Like, I yeah. think he was still getting uh visual attacks while we were doing that. But Probably. It was, yeah. And and trying to take notes as well. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't. A, his brain. His brain doesn't shut up. Which is, it does not. For his credit, and also, you know, it's hard for him too. Abomination is such an incredible episode. It's one of my favorites from season two, and I love how Derek threatens Styles and then immediately pushes him out of the way to save him from the Canima. Right. It's the second time that we've had an episode where Styles spends the entire time trying to save Derek while Scott's having dinner with the Argents. <laughs> was that intentional to do a callback to season one, uh, Magic Bullet? Maybe. Jeff probably unconsciously, if not consciously, probably unconsciously did it, but Jeff's pretty conscious about creative decisions. So I wouldn't say maybe, I can't remember. You know, watching the episode again, I was like, oh yeah, God, we put them in this situation together, which is, you know, it's quite an intimate situation. So it's kind of great. But it, also they, they, we would sort of often start the season with like, what are the cool things you want to do? And what can we do? Like the ice rink, I remember we started, you know, I was like, what about an ice rink or, and the pool? And like, how can we, and then get these locations and then build the sequence around that as well. We love all like the water imagery that happens in season two. Mm -hmm. It's really mm -hmm. amazing. Abomination is also a fan favorite episode. Did you anticipate that fans would react so positively to it? I, you know, I didn't really know that, actually. I mean, I knew that about Mosul, California, because people told me. I didn't know it about Abomination. Um, but I think it's kind of really, it's interesting because it's so, it's, it's a lot of things are kind of coalescing in that part of the, of, of the, the season, I guess. And, you know, we, I was, this, this is the second season. It was 12, was it 12 episodes? Yeah, yeah. It's 12. Mm -hmm. 12 episodes. And so I had just come on and we're working on, you know, re doing the whole season. So I didn't really know about that, to be honest with you. I, and, and I knew, I think I just was like, we got to get it done. And, and I was, and because I wrote it, I didn't direct it. I didn't know quite track as much as it. Also, it's very interesting to watch the progression. Like I was jumping from season to season a little bit. And I was like, God, we really did get better and better and better at this. Like I watched the uh, Devoid episode and I hadn't seen that in a long, I watched Motel California a few times, but I haven't watched that. And I was like, God, I forgot how good, that's a really yeah. good episode. Mm -hmm. Like I was yes, like, it it's is. really fun. And it's, it, and you, of course you've got, you know, Boyd really he's such an amazing actor and so it's just like i was like watching i was like oh my god this is yeah yeah and i remember we very early on we were like we've got to do him be bad because he's he's such a good actor and he'll do it really in a very creepy way so that was a really 
fun thing to be involved in and also to direct that one was really yeah. amazing. That episode just blows me away. It's so good. Yeah, I, I, I'm, yeah, I think you're going to ask me something about it, so I won't <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what Tyler Hecklin and Dylan O'Brien's reactions were to finding out they had to be stuck in a pool filming for hours on end? I think they were both game, you know, like they're both good actors and, and Dylan's like fearless, like he'll do whatever you want to do. And, and I think also that the show was still, you know, second season. So they're all still excited. Um, I can't say if that happened, you know, in the sixth season or the fifth season, you know, I think they get more tired of like, oh God, this is what I have to do. But I think it's fun, you know, how hard is it you're like getting to play act and jump in a pool and be you know action stuff but they they loved all that stuff and it was fun being around it as well shooting it and like i was like i still look at some of the stunts that we did and i was like how the hell did we do those stunts and those stunts take like half a day on resident alien i was like how is this possible like we did this and it the show looks so good on so many levels but yeah i think that speaks to the dynamism of the production it really speaks to sort of what jeff created and what Joe Janier, the producer, really pulled off too. And his wife, mm -hmm. you know, real miracles because... Russell said something when we talked to him. It was like Teen Wolf wanted to get made. That was how he put it. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a little bit of that, like, no one's totally sure what exactly, what, what alchemy allowed all that to happen, but it, it did for Teen Wolf. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think so. I think it was a little magical island of production. And, you know, Joe Jeanette brought the production to L.A. and that made it like a lot easier and then also diff more difficult in, in ways because we couldn't, we didn't have the forests and we didn't have certain aspects which were like you have. But it was like, yeah, I think, you know, I wasn't on for the first season, so I, I can't speak to the actual creative of it all happening and being, you know, they had to go through a lot. They had to go through a lot with MTV. They had to go a lot with getting the production working on that kind of budget. And Joe Janier comes out of the Corman sort of stuff. So that you know how to make things that way. And it's on that budget and pull pull it off. And so there were all sort of small wonders that happened all the time. And I think, you know, when you get a cast like that, that feeds the show and people relate to those characters and that and the fan response and everything. So I, I was lucky I got to walk on second season and it was all already up and running. But it hadn't become the phenomenon that it then became because I think just more time created more awareness, obviously. And right. People really had more fun. It got, it got better and better. It just did. It did. Yeah. yeah. If you could be any Teen Wolf creature... What would you be? <laughs> oh God, probably the Durak. <laughs> That's a fun one. That's cool. That's cool. I love Percy. I love that actress. She's a she's a really good actress. And I don't know. I'd like to be a witch. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the Catamount, not so much. Uh, yeah. You know, she gets to have sex with Derek. I, <laughs> I guess I don't know. I mean, what she she's you know it's 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 a fun cat, and she is in one of my favorite episodes that I did. So I think that that's um, but yeah. I guess I also you know the whole the whole Nagatsune stuff was really fun because they built this incredible set that was like. You know, you know the set, obviously, but it looked so good with the snow and everything. That was oh, yes. really beautiful stuff. Yeah. I'm, I was sad I didn't get to really do anything on that. On um, in that, I did devoid, devoid obviously, but like on that set, it was so beautiful. I loved to shot on that. I didn't get to do anything. You know, it was an amazing set. Yeah, I was telling Will that like 
the saddest thing is that we didn't meet him till season four. So we never had the chance to be there to see that set. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Cause it looks gorgeous. It's really it green. It was beautiful. Do you have any memories from filming shapeshifted as principal Thomas that you'd yeah, like to share? I just, oh God. <laughs> Jeff kept saying, make it bigger, make it bigger. And I couldn't like, I couldn't, um, I don't know, resolve that. I just became very nervous to performing, but it was fun. I think it was more fun for Jeff than it was for me. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I do get my like $4.95 residual check every so often. Nice. Nice. Go, go get a latte. Yeah, nice. pays for a Starbucks. So it's good. <laughs> Speaking of Principal Thomas, what do you think happened to him after he was relieved of his job as principal? Don't I, get, I get shocked or something, electrocuted or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, yes. they shock you in the car. <laughs> I should have watched it again. I can't. Who knows? He probably went off to into therapy or into an insane asylum. It's probably wise of him yeah. to do. Oh, maybe he ended up in Iconhouse. Yeah, maybe he's an Icon. Who knows? Yeah, he probably is. He's definitely an Iconhouse. I actually thought he died. But no, I think we still, I should have made a return. I should have made a return <laughs> after I left the show. You know? Yeah, that would have been fun. fun. That would have been a lot Remember of fun. Remember me? <laughs> People will be like, no. <laughs> We took a poll on Instagram and by far Motel California is everyone's favorite episode. And I was just wondering if you uh, wanted to talk a little bit about the experience you had filming that. I mean, it was really fantastic. I mean, Jeff let me direct, which was, I've been wanting to do, you know, I, I directed a short film out of, out of college that got nominated for Oscar, but then I couldn't get any directing work and sort of my writing career kicked off and he was like I'm gonna let you direct and it was so kind of him and I don't know any other showrunners who, who would would have done that or who do that actually because he really does support talent within and you know he made us script supervisor she became a director and one of the other writers directed and everything and it was an episode I wrote and then obviously he did his polish on it and made it better way better but it, it was fantastic we the most difficult part of that was finding the motel i think we went and saw like 25 motels because you keep thinking oh wow i need this like iconic hotel and there aren't any many of them left and they're also i kept saying i don't know where i got it but i was like i need a face motel has to have a face you know and that motel when you got to the right angle you know there's a there's like there's like it's it feels like it's in the middle of nowhere but it really isn't it's like surrounded by LA buildings and so that was the hardest thing I think and once we found that place then I could do everything I wanted to and and then we basically had one set which was one uh because we're low budget we had one motel room and then we had configured the production designer very cleverly we could configure so like during lunch they would move a window or move the door to the other side and uh, move the dress change the pictures and move the bed and so you that's all one room that you see wow. that hotel room move the flats in slightly so like you know the one that's being uh, renovated is the same as the one, all the same room, just different configurations. And we would have like, you know, then you'd go onto another set and come back and to be a whole new motel room and we'd shoot. And, but everybody supported me, you know, my AD, JD was incredible. And Dave was incredible. And I'd also knew the gaffer because he had shot while I'd been my DP. And so everyone just was so supportive and I'm very, you know, it was an amazing experience and the actors were very supportive and, it's a really strong script. And I, I, I remember thinking to Jeff, I was like, I think I want to direct this one because if I'm writing it, but also because it's almost a standalone, like 
I could show it as a calling card in a way for my direction because you don't really need to know. You need to know, be better if you did, but if you didn't know the show, at least it's got all the, you can follow the story. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, obviously there are things that you're like, the Dirac, who's that thing in the, <laughs> the burning um, gasoline? But but yeah, so it was, um, I think it was, it was just the stars aligned and it was just, it was, I was very supported couldn't have done it without everybody and um and i just i'm super proud of that episode i love it and it's very nice that the fans think that you know whoever voted that's very very kind of them and i cheated a little bit because i think because it's a standalone people can sort it's unique in it's in its thing in a way and sticks out to people it sticks out to people, and I think that's one of the reasons. This is a related question, but Motel California is the only episode that you both directed and wrote. Yeah. So what was it like having that degree of creative influence over it, as opposed to, you know, just writing or just directing or just you know, producing you an episode? The truth is that on, on Team Wolf, you don't, it's not, it's not all yours that's written. Jeff does a very significant polish, but depending depending on the script. I can't remember how much of a polish he did, but it was like, it was nice. It's nice to have that voice if you're doing directing because you, you're like, oh, that's fresher. Okay, now I can direct it in this way and, and stuff. But, you know, Jeff and I and the writer's room, but, you know, Will can probably speak this more. I don't know. But I think Jeff and I had a unique relationship that we trusted each other creatively. And so we would pitch dynamically in the room. Like a lot of the pitching was was us uh, sort of back and forth and and then building on that and so it was nice to have that input it, I wasn't alone let's just put it like that like he he and also the writers as well you know we had great writers so it was wasn't it's not only it wasn't only my voice um but I think a lot of the ideas you know came out of that dyna dynamism of, of of how we created the show you know the stories so it was great <laughs> <laughs> y'all did uh you and jeff did have a, a, a great dynamic on the show because i mean you know there are plenty of times because you know jeff's a showrunner and we're all in the writer's room working and then well he's got to go off to edit or he has to go off to do something and then you would take over and it, it didn't feel like um a change it still felt like we had the same we had the same creative force working with us you know and and i think that's in large part due to y'all's working relationship being yeah. as solid as it was i'm glad that you felt that way you might not have an answer for this but it is more of like an opinion thing in riddled aiden suggests that styles might be the nogitsune and derek thinks that the nogitsune would choose someone more powerful than styles mm -hmm. why do you think the nogitsune chose styles well, I know why we chose Styles. Because <laughs> he's, he's one of the best actors. You know, I think he's one of the best young actors working today. Um, so we knew that Incredibly he could talented. pull it off. And probably the Nagitsune did the same thing. No, I, you know, he's he's interesting because he, as a character, he's the funny man. But he's also, I think he's vulnerable, he's open. So maybe the Nagitsune picked him because he was easy to access. He's, 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 an open person and fun and you know i think tricksters and demons can make their way they like to corrupt <laughs> i love it i love that yeah. so yeah yeah, yeah Dylan o'brien has incredible range it's yeah. really impressive that he didn't do anything outside of like youtube stuff before teen wolf yeah close my mind i don't think he's even trained i think he trained himself 
Like I, he grew up in a Hollywood family, but I don't think he was classically trained. You know. Yeah. It, and his range and his facility is is pretty amazing. Devoid is actually one of my favorite episodes of the show, and the scene with Lydia and the balloons is just so gorgeous. I was wondering if you had any memories from filming that episode and if you had any particular, like, did you take a different approach when directing the scenes with Styles, Derek, and Isaac when they're acting so out of character mm. because of the possession? It's, it's interesting. Firstly, I, I do remember pitching that, like the, the, this balloon would come down and then you'd transition into the prom. Is it not prom? It was yeah. I think it's homecoming it was or something. Yeah, homecoming. Yeah, it was something. a dance. The winter formal. Winter, oh, yeah. No, it was so dance. <laughs> <laughs> this thing of the balloon was like a hard thing to figure out. And we didn't like, you know, I was like, I wanted just one balloon to come down. And then it's interesting because I like watched it again. I was like, ah, oh, I still, the transition from that balloon and then the ball, the, the balloon, the transition, the, and then all the balloons are coming in front of her. And then you cut to the set and the speed of the balloons is different. It drives me nuts. So we didn't, I should have stupidly, I mean, it's a stupid thing. Maybe people don't notice it. I wonder if you did. But it's I absolutely like, did not. I was just distracted. I didn't. How beautiful it looked. <laughs> I love the it's transition. Like, it's these details as a director that you're like, okay, the balloons are coming at this speed. And then we cut to the set with the other balloons. And then they, and I should have, ra- I should have done those balloons slow motion and ramped those. You know, it's a, a, a technical thing, but it's. And I looked at it again. And I was like, even it still bothers me. <laughs> the director, the stuff still. But I was watching other stuff. And I was like, oh my god. And then in terms of directing them, I think they're all they're all on their A game at that point. That they were all knew how to do their roles so well. So I think that they had fun being those characters. And it's funny because I watched Devoid first, and then Motel California, and I'm like. They're kind of very similar episodes because everybody's possessed in the episode. Or not everybody, <laughs> right. all the werewolves yeah. are possessed in some strange way. So they're very similar. It, obviously, we got to go in a dream world, which is super fun. Um, but yeah, they, um, they're similar acting-wise. And I, you know, I'm, I'm particular with that. I mean, I'm a, I would like to think I'm a, a director's, an actor's director in the sense that I like to deal with the actors a lot of directors don't especially in television they don't because usually the actors are like i know how to do this you know because it's my tv show you're coming to visit um <laughs> they they these actors you know were more they're more more open to sort of and also because i knew them and everything and it was like you know it, you're just guiding them you know hopefully to to give the most truthful performance and I think, you know, some of the earlier episodes, obviously, they're not the actors and they're not, they don't know quite the roles yet or how to mm-hmm. access that emotion so easy or whatever. But they're all great people. I mean, Tyler Posey as a lead is just, he's such a sweet, good guy. So you have that as your number one is really key. And, and he's also very talented. So it just, and he just got better and better, significantly better and better. Like he was improving, improving, improving. And then, you know, obviously um, Holland is just, Holland was great for um, for Motel California because she's just, she's just great at playing that sort of like, <gasps> what's happening and, and, and stuff. And uh, I've, yeah, so they're all great. Obviously the Melissa and 
and JR are just lovely people and, and really, <laughs> really good actors. So just having adults like that who are just good to support the production is so essential. Like it's a huge lesson in how to cast your show because yes, you want the best actors, but you really want people who are just going to be good people and, and support the production because I've been on things where they're not good people and it's just very destructive to a production and you know you're going to be doing this for five or six years hopefully and so you better be enjoying it and you better be kind and good to everybody because yeah. what's what else is the point yeah, yeah. So we've definitely heard from other people about like yeah, how tyler posey was great at being a leader for the cast mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and everyone yeah. just seems to love him so much it really comes through that everyone on Teen Wolf seemed to have a really good relationship with each other um, behind the scenes, like the cast and crew, everyone yeah. just seemed to really love the project yeah. and get along with each other. Well, that also really become, that also become, comes from the leadership from Jeff and from Joe and, you know, and a little bit part to do with me and, and, and Russell when those people are in sort of, balancing it out it just you know it just come it just does come down from the top so it's an actor or it's or it's production it's like it's it just you people just want to feel safe and they want to feel seen mm-hmm. and recognized for their work and they want to be able to do their best work it's not it's not ever a people are usually not doing their best work because they're feeling in fear you know i think yeah no that makes I think sense it, really shows how much people care about the show who worked on it because there's so many people who are still willing to talk to us, you know, after the show has been off air for four yeah. years. Oh, and God. I mean, someone like you, who's on a very successful show right now, and everything's still <laughs> taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. But you know, and, I've never done, I've never done anything like this. It's crazy. I haven't done, I just, I'm not really one to sort of tell. I, I, there are some writers who I, who are like on everything and writing articles and and everything. And I'm just like, I guess I'm hopefully too busy, but also it's like, it's, it's nice to talk about it, to remember and also hopefully help people who are coming up. Were there other characters you would have been particularly interested in exploring the void versions of, like we see with Styles, Derek and Isaac in Devoid? Yeah, maybe Holland. I mean, maybe Lydia would be an interesting because she's a really good actress so it would have been interesting for her yeah melissa i love as an actress i think mean, she's just really real um so it'd be fun to see her be completely you know it's 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 fun to play bad yeah and so for an actor that's really fun and they don't often get to do that you know and in this business we get typecast whether a writer or a director or an actor because people have no imagination. <laughs> we have to feed them their imagination. This is a good one. Yeah. That would be yeah. rough to watch, but also exciting. Yes. Since you've been on both sides of writing and directing for, for television, how would you describe, or what can you say about the, the relationship between both the writer and the director? Like when you're prepping your episode with a writer mm-hmm. versus being the writer prepping with a director? Well, obviously it's easier when you're, it's you, because you're right. just sort of like, and you're usually, you know, you're prepping with Jeff. So you're getting his voice is the most important or that the showrunner's voice. I have been accused of being very much on directors because when the, when, when we're shooting stuff and I, I don't know why I just have a sort of a, a goal about myself in the sense of like, I think because I'm a director and I'm like, you're missing this. <laughs> 
why are you missing this? And right. you need to get this. And in it, that sounds arrogant. And I think you do it in a way, you have to try and do it in a way that's like nurturing or, or just sort of say, hey, what about this? And it's difficult in production because it's so high paced that you have to give the note and or else we're moving on. And then the director's like, I want to move on. Then you're like, no, 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 but you didn't get that. And he's like, why didn't she or she's like, why didn't you tell me that before? And, you know, that's a, <laughs> that's, a, that's a difficult dynamic sometimes. But, you know, with Russell and I, I would often be on the set because Jeff had to be writing or be in the writer's room and we would switch out and everything. And Russell and I would just laugh a lot of the time. And so it was just very easy. And he would be like, oh, yeah, that's great idea. You know, oh, yeah, I'll go do that. And, you know, he would go do that. <laughs> And, and not take it personally. So I think as a director in TV, you have to really check your ego at the door. And I, you know, when I was directing my last episode, I was also dealing with a lot of stuff emotionally, but the, a, a writer came up and gave me a note and I was like, ah, why are you giving me that? You know, and I was like, probably should apologize to him at some point. But I just was like, I was like, it's hard because you're being told what to do. And I think, that's for directors is very hard. Like, mm -hmm. Directors are very, you know, they're being cause they're, they're very, um, you know, it's me or the highway, or, you know, it's just being yeah. drilled in them sometimes. And, and Russell isn't like that at all. Did you have a particular character or duo that you enjoyed writing or directing more than others? Anything with, you know, Tyler and Dylan was fun to do because it was just fun. And they were, you know, a they were like a fun, energetic couple together. So it would always be hilarious. I did really like stuff with Holland because usually it was more emotionally, it was had a lot of emotion that was kind of like weird. I don't know, they were all fun. Like it was fun doing the twins. They're great guys, Charlie and Max. It was also good being on set with Russell to watch him, mm. I found very fun. You know, he's a visual, genius in the sense that he'll little tricks like and tricks that i've learned now like like rain and moving stuff in the background you know like just things that you just smoke and you know, just looking at, at a set but in a different way and and how to do this and i think uh, my success is a lot to do with sort of watching him work as well because he's just he's been working for years and yeah doing really great stuff so that was always fun and we would laugh a lot so that was always that's He's always a great good. guy. Yeah. We really enjoyed talking to him. We did. Awesome. Yeah. Part of the reason why Teen Wolf has had such a lasting impact is because they were doing so much yeah. before other shows. I mean, Schitt's Creek went on to, you know, Dan Levy create a show where there was like no homophobia. But, you know, Teen Wolf was really exploring that before Schitt's Creek came along. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jeff always said very clearly, he's like, I don't want to ever, I don't want gay to ever be an issue. And in that time, it still was an issue. It still is an issue, you know. Uh, you know, I, I, I it, it, he, and it was, it was working in a much more positive world view. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Jeff was doing it before. He was very, very, because he just, we don't want to see another Lifetime movie about some horrible thing happening to a gay person. We wanted to just have fun stuff. Are there any upcoming projects of yours that you can tell us about? I'm doing Resident Alien for the next probably year. Um, We'll be, we'll still be, well, we'll be, we'll be finished. We're doing two seasons back to back. Like, oh, nice. Team, they, did oh, the same, nice. they did the same trickery. They, well, they basically did eight episodes and eight episodes, and we, mm -hmm. we're counting them as two separate seasons. So that's great. It's a lot of episodes, but that's going to take me probably till 
May, June, June. And then I just wrote a feature, which I'm praying I'll get to direct, which is a um, untold true story during um, World War II about a group of uh, resistance fighters who are gay. And it's all true. And so, oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds incredible. I'm, I'm, yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, I think I the story is incredible and I, I'm very proud of the draft. Definitely hope that it, you're able yeah. to get it made, get to direct it. Yeah. Definitely yeah, would love be to awesome. see that. Well, I'm, mm. I'm very excited for that. And I definitely hope that gets made and you get to direct it. So Yay. it would just be incredible. That would be awesome. Yes. Yeah, so, Thank you, Christian, so much for joining us. This is this has just been wonderful. It was so nice. Yeah, thank you it, so much. Yeah, it, it, I, uh, it was really nice. And uh, thank you for having me mumble on. I don't know what I said. Our pleasure. Good. Our pleasure. It's it been good. so amazing talking to you. Yes. <laughs> oh, so sweet. And please, if you don't mind, keep us updated on that project. If yes, for sure. Things move for sure. forward. We had a fantastic time talking with Christian, but now we have to get back to spoilers. Do we ever get a bit where Isaac sort of laments the loss of his dad? Whereas, like, you know, because obviously, like, like how we talked this about this show last, is Teed Wolf, Will. I know. And we actually as I was do. Saying, do we? Okay, because I, I was, I thought that would be interesting. It's very. I actually think it's very delicately done. It happens a couple episodes from now when the new beta trio is going through their first full moon. Mm-hmm. And Erica and Boyd are losing their shit as newly bitten yeah. wolves tend to do on the full moon, which we learned with Scott last mm-hmm. season. But Isaac is like stone cold. He is completely in control. And Derek is like, how are you doing that? He can't understand how Isaac was able to control it so quickly. I mean, he did try to give... He, Derek, did try to give the betas that philosophy of like having an anchor. Mm-hmm. And so he asks Isaac what his is. And Isaac says, it's the memory of my dad. Mm. And Derek cannot understand that. Derek is like, your dad was a horrible person. He hurt you. Mm-hmm. And Isaac was like, well, not all the time. Yeah. And it's actually a really interesting, nuanced moment. Do either of you remember who said the line that Lydia quotes in this episode? It's something like, it's often the people who are closest to us who are in our way. Who did say it? I don't actually remember that. Jackson, I think. I don't actually remember it either. It does sound like something an asshole would say. (laughs) (laughs) The first time I watched it, I thought that Lydia was going to be like, I got it from that motivational poster on your wall with all the kittens (laughs) huddled together and the one kitten realizes the other kittens are holding it back. but no (laughs) holy shit it's peter peter says it in season one yeah and i guess that's supposed to be like a hint because she's not in the scene with him i didn't realize that oh wow co-captain he says i think you're getting the wrong impression of us we really just want to help you reach your full potential scott replies by killing my friends and peter replies sometimes the people closest to you can be the ones holding you back the most that's cool. And I was today years old when I learned that. Me too. Yeah. So that's cool. That's really cool. That is cool. Yeah. I, but yeah, I just assumed it was something Jackson said because he had been trying to like separate himself from her once he thought, I'm a really hot shot werewolf now. No, it yeah. does sound like something he would say in their breakup scene. It does. You know? yeah. So yeah, that's just what I assumed. Wow. All that's right. really cool. Good job, Jeff. And other writers, but I'm sure it was Jeff. And Calissa for tracking that and down. And Calissa for, for tracking yeah, right? it down. Taking the two seconds to Google it, which we didn't previously. <laughs> I tried to inquiry it and it didn't work. Oh, yes. There you go. All right. So I think it's really interesting that Styles thinks that there was like 
like a look in the Kanama's eyes and that the Kanama recognized him. Yeah. I feel like Styles was thinking, I feel like it wanted to call me a name. It had this look like it wanted to shove me into a locker and tell me that it had nicer belongings than I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is a really good (laughs) detail. But since we're talking about stuff we find out later in the season in terms of who the Kanama is and who's controlling its actions, why did Matt tell Danny about the edit point? Yeah. Uh, I'm thinking it had to do with Danny going to him to ask about it. Maybe he was thinking that if he reviewed the footage and said it was normal and then Danny caught it, that Danny would be suspicious of him. Maybe, but I mean, like, couldn't he have just said it was a glitch? I mean, like, really? I would just say, like, would these would either of these two characters really been like, I don't know. You know, I mean, he just been like, oh, it's a glitch. Plus, I'm not sure I buy that he was certain Danny would find it. Or, or think it was suspicious that he, Matt didn't find it. I mean, it's two hours of footage. Like, worst case scenario, he's like, I don't see anything that weird. And then Danny comes back and is like, hey, I found this edit, what looks like an edit in it, and tells Matt. And Matt's like, oops, I missed it because I fast forwarded through the footage because it's two hours of Jackson Whitmore lying in bed sleeping. Yeah. He would know that Danny would find it because Danny can do everything and everyone in Beacon Hills knows that. But in all seriousness, it no, it doesn't make any sense. I'm guessing they were just trying to figure out how to unravel the mystery of the story for this season. But I think Danny should have been the one to notice it and just cut Matt out entirely for this part. Yes, that that would have been good. I mean, Danny finds it and then you go to Matt just because... We know things. <laughs> it's like this doesn't really yeah. make sense. And Matt's like, oh, hmm, yes, strange. That would work in the story. And then yeah. maybe Matt would give some context about it being looped because at that point, what the f- is he going to do? Danny found it. He can't exactly be like, hmm, I don't see it. But I just think it's weird that they went out of their way to have Danny say he's the one that found it. It feels like that didn't need to be there. Yeah. In fact, they didn't need to involve Matt at all for this piece of the story to work. It could have just been Danny saying, you're not my type. But yes, I did watch two hours of you sleeping and I noticed this irregularity. Yeah. I don't know much about like supporting actors, guest, guest actors and like contracts and stuff, but maybe they just had like told him he'd be in like a certain amount a certain number of scenes for the episode and Mm, they or just they felt like for the audience it would be weird for him only to have like the one bit with mom mccall and nothing else so maybe they just want him in both scenes i do agree they should just left him out but yeah i know it's not like a scene like a number of scenes thing The, the contracts are all by episode so i'm sure i haven't looked at this but i'm sure matt's probably got like an eight or nine episode deal for this season and then this but is I, like well we've got him we gotta I, use think him. She, I think she meant just like that they thought that viewers would think it was weird that his only scene was with mama mccall in the episode yeah maybe it's but i still think it would have been better if he had to be in this scene to have danny say like okay yeah i know you didn't want me to tell anyone but I found this thing that I thought was really weird and I figured he's the footage expert. He's the person to ask about it. And it's his camera anyway. Yeah, that one little thing would have made this scene better. Okay, so why did the Kanama attack Derek and Styles in the pool area? Derek, Styles, and Erica, they have nothing to do with what happened to Matt. So why did 
the cannibal even go after them? It's just Jackson and his downtime between Matt orders. He just wanted to f- with Styles. <laughs> so he's just out there cannibaling around. Well, maybe it was because Styles was a witness, though, because he was in the middle of giving Derek and Erica info about the cannibal. True, but then why didn't he just kill Styles right then and there? I mean, in the garage when Styles was paralyzed, he could have just done it it's not like the cannibal was interrupted and then had unfinished business which would have led him to come back to styles i mean he you know screamed in Styles's face he could have just ripped the face off how dare you it's too beautiful a face to rip off but also <laughs> maybe it's because the cannibal has to get a direct order from matt the cannibal was given an order to kill the mechanic not styles so it could only kill the mechanic afterward matt found out that styles was a witness and gave the cannibal orders to kill styles oh yeah and that, w- that would explain why the cannibal doesn't kill erica while she's unconscious because it, it wasn't even trying to kill derek right it was trying to paralyze erica and derek to get to styles but then derek fell in the pool where the cannibal can't follow because it shares matt's phobia of the water True, but the Kanama never goes after Styles again after this episode. Maybe so. bigger fish to fry? Or it was an opportunity thing? True. More likely, it's because Matt is the true steric shipper of the show. That's the real reason why he set this up. That tracks. So, of course, he doesn't send the Kanama after Styles later. Instead, he has the Kanama paralyze Styles directly on top of Derek. <laughs> and he says the line about how they make a pretty good pair, which is basically, I did this on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I like that, Kalissa. Yeah, that's good. I like that too. Everything will work for my ship. I'll make cannon fit to it. (laughs) Yes. I have to say, Gerard has such Kate Argent level trickster energy in this episode. Like, he didn't need to invite Scott to dinner to figure out that he was a werewolf. Like, it seemed to me like he figured out that Scott was a werewolf while he was at the lacrosse game. And he, he isn't planning to attack Scott at the Argents, right? He he attacks him later. So I feel like he was just like, you know what would be hilarious is if I invited him over to the Argents, it's going to make everybody uncomfortable. It's going to put Allison on her toes. This is going to be just crazy. Machiavelli who? (laughs) (laughs) I wondered if he was kind of like testing them because probably figures that Chris is smart enough to know what's going on. So he wants to see how Chris will react. Meaning trying to figure out if Chris already knows that Scott is a werewolf or... Like, I feel like Gerard knows that Chris knows that Scott's a werewolf and he wants to see like what Chris will do about like a werewolf being in the home. Like, is he going to like try to cover for him? Is he going to out him? Like, what is he, would he tell Gerard, you can't bring him here. Like he's a werewolf, but not like a bad one. So we don't want to kill him, but like, or I don't. Yeah, that, so, that's, a, that's an interesting that's idea that like that Gerard was not only manipulating and testing Allison in this episode, but also Chris. Yeah, it's just his general way of life. Yep. Yeah. Testing and manipulating everyone he goes past. Speaking of the scene at the or the scenes at the Argent house, this is a very small detail. But I would like to point out that Allison says the thing about robbing a bank later. And they actually do, technically speaking, next season. That's true. Mm-hmm. It's not a functioning bank, but still. <laughs> still. I think it's pretty high and mighty of Scott to keep preaching about trust, considering what he does to Derek at the end of the season. Yeah. Thank you. Scott is kind of a huge hypocrite this season. Mm-hmm. Like, I like Scott, but, you know, I feel like he's really adorable and, you know, he's he's a good person. But 
I feel like he does have moments of being a huge hypocrite and like, he sees things in black and white and there are no gray areas. Mm-hmm. And Beacon Hills is really just one gray area. So maybe he should try, you know, looking at things like a little differently. Mm-hmm. The only gray he sees is Allison. Why is she gray? Well, because she is homicidal at the end of the oh, season and then see- he just lets it go. See, I, th- I think it's the opposite. I oh, think yeah. that's a, a good example of him seeing in black and white because he decided early on that she was a good person. Oh, right? I see what you're saying. And oh, nothing, yeah. nothing okay. can intrude on that idea that yeah. she's a good person. It's like a cognitive dissonance thing. Like he's not capable of incorporating this new data into his idea of Allison. Yeah. So he just doesn't. Instead yeah. of being like, well, sometimes good people do bad things. Sometimes they think they're doing the right thing. Sometimes they're manipulated into doing the wrong thing. Like there there are lots of shades of gray in how people make decisions and why they do the things they do. But Scott doesn't think in that way. So he just doesn't address it. Yeah. Because I mean, really, there's never any kind of come to Jesus meeting, so to speak, between, between Scott and Allison, where he's like, yeah, trying to murder innocent people, really not okay. Yeah. That concludes this week's episode of Return to Beacon Hills. We hope you had as much fun listening as we did talking about all things Teen Wolf. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at RTBH Podcast and Tumblr and TikTok at Return to Beacon Hills. If you'd like to ask us questions or offer suggestions for future topics to discuss, you can email us at returntobeaconhills at gmail.com. Join us here next week when we discuss Season 2, Episode 5, Venomous. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast goodness five-star reviews get a shout out have a great week and we'll see you again soon on return to beacon hills dude it's beacon hills